Thank you. Hello. Hi. It's not a wedding going on, don't worry. Um, Why does 1 Corinthians always get pulled out at weddings and then we kind of forget about it the rest of the time? Because I don't know about you, but I need daily, hourly reminders of what biblical love looks like, how it manifests, not just in my behavior, but in my thoughts and my intentions and my motivations. So um, I want us to look a little bit today at love, specifically God's love and how we are charged with, as a church, expressing that love in the way we interact and do life with one another. The passage in John where where Jesus says to his disciples, love as I have loved you, or just as I have loved you, or in the way that I have loved you, are the translations say. It's an incredible, radical command. And I think when I'd read this passage before, I just focused on the fact that it was, it was new. It was new. Okay, we're moving away. Jesus is about to sacrifice himself. So all, of those, all that old law and the sacrifices that have had to have taken place to, to atone us to God, that's going to be replaced. And, and God, God was speaking to me about this, and he said, no, what, what, what I want you to focus on is the fact that I'm commanding it. And if I command it, it means that it's possible I don't know how you see love, how you see Christian love. I think there's a tendency to perhaps be so in awe of God's love, and um, we've sung loads about that already, this amazing, um, unconditional, unending, relentless love that he has for us. And we receive that, and then we think, and I will just try my best to emulate that, but it won't be that kind of love. It will just be my human, limited, best efforts. And I think God's, God's challenging us, and, and he wants to say that, no, actually, it is possible for you to love in the way that Jesus loved. I love this church. I hope you love this church, and I hope you have received and continue to receive a lot of love. I think we're good at that. So again, I was just thinking, well, God, why, why speak about love? Because we're the lantern, and we're, there's a lot of love here, and we're, we're good at that. Why don't I speak on something else? But the trouble is with that mindset is that once we begin to think we've attained something or that we're doing well at something, there's a danger that we begin to shrink God's vision for us and we begin to limit the one who is limitless, who always has more capacity, more, more power to equip and resource us. So we're going to talk about love today not because in any way we're in lack, but rather because I think increasingly over the last few months, I think there is an appetite for us as a body to take hold of an even more radical type of love, a love that that Jesus models, um, a love that is so courageous and even more generous, a love that's wholehearted and expresses more visibly that we belong to Christ. In a couple of weeks, Mike's going to be laying out God's vision for us in this next season So I think it's a really fitting time for each one of us to just do a little bit of reflection, you know, to think about where we are with church, to take stock, maybe to think about uh, perhaps things that have become habitual rather than intentional, to maybe think about trivial things that may have become a bit too important or important things that we've begun to trivialize. 
It's really a gift these next couple of weeks to just do some business with God, I think, so that when we go to that Vision Sunday, we're ready to receive from him and to move forward with nothing holding us back. So we're going to look at just a couple of ways. I hope this morning is going to be a small part of that, of that reflection process for you as we look at just a few ways in which I think Jesus loved. Jesus' love was completely conscious to be conscious means that you are aware of and responding to your surroundings. And, and he did this in a number of ways. He, he wasn't overbearing, but he was completely aware of what was going on in the minds and the hearts of the people around him. He, he consistently made time for people, for their questions, for their struggles. But also, he wasn't afraid to initiate. If we think about the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who he controversially asks for a drink of water, he wasn't afraid to initiate. You see, Jesus was completely secure in the love of his Father and the plans of his Father and the purposes of his Father for him. And he was operating uh, in God's, God's calling, God's spirit. And we have that same spirit within us, and that's the thing that's going to allow us to move into a deeper, a deeper level of loving one another. Not our own efforts or good intentions or duties, but rather, as we've heard in this recent series on the Holy Spirit, allowing God's Spirit to have more autonomy in our lives, enabling him to actually begin to produce more fruit in us so that that can't help but then seep out towards other people. It's not surprising that the early church were so focused on each other. They'd had this model to them firsthand, this outward love, this love that was never about self, always about the other. Just want to read briefly this, the passage in Acts 2. Where it describes the early church and their, their practices. From verse 42 in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's a vision for us to take hold of, because it's the same God and it's the same spirit at work. And so what are we prepared to settle for? Let's chase after something bigger, a more radical love. We don't hear about kind of amazing events and um, we just hear about overflowing love. And naturally, people wanted to be a part of that. There was something that drew people, something that was so magnetic about this type of love. And as we read it, there's a danger that we think, oh, it all sounds so organic and natural. And, but you and I know from our own lives that something only becomes habitual and natural as a result of previous deliberate choices and discipline. And the clues here, right at the beginning of this passage, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Each one made a commitment they took part in that vision, they took hold of it, they wanted to be a part of it, and they gave of themselves in order to make it a success. They were partnering with the work of, of God's Spirit 
I'd really urge you, and I hope that everyone comes to church for community. That's what it's all about. If you just come for the teaching, sorry, um, if you just come for the teaching, but then go away and think, okay, I'll, I'll sort this out on my own. That's, that's quite brave. That's quite, that's quite challenging. I think, you know, James urges us, don't, don't just merely listen to the word, do what it says. And I'd suggest that we can only really do that in community. We can only do that when we receive the encouragement and the accountability of one another. So it says in, in the passage that their behavior was noticed by others and that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And don't we want more of that for our, com- for our community here? Don't we want more of that for Merley? Can you imagine the next time we're out pounding the streets, delivering leaflets, and that people aren't hiding, they're coming out and they're eager to talk to us and engage and inquiring what else is going on at the Lantern? Can you imagine people who don't even care that we're parked outside of their house? Don't worry about the cones. Come on my driveway. Can you, we could do with a bit more favour, couldn't we, from our local community and beyond. The Holy Spirit is really eager and waiting to connect us with one another. And in here's a really good place to practice that and to get more in tune with what his purposes are. A couple of weeks ago, I didn't do what I usually do, which is the service ends, I grab my things, grab the coffee, and then start rounding up my numerous family members. And I actually listened to a prompt and thought, oh, I think I need to speak to this person that sat next to me, who I didn't know. And we just started with a bit of chit-chat, and very quickly, it became a completely God-inspired conversation. And she shared something really deep, and we just had this wonderful exchange And I think God's desire is that that is happening all the time and increasingly in this place. But it requires us to be aware and to be brave enough to respond to our surroundings. Let's be people who aren't afraid to initiate. Let's be people who've got time for the questions and the struggles of others. Because we all play a part in creating a culture and sustaining it where people really belong. They're not just welcomed, but they belong. Have you ever noticed how it's really easy to love the lovable people? Even in church, I think it's really easy to find our our people, our people, and we love them really well, we love them really intentionally, we love them really consistently. And... It is appropriate to have key people in our lives who we trust, whose company we enjoy, and who have a special place within our hearts, because Christ did that. But it doesn't end there, does it? Because the Bible says that we are one body, each indwelt by the same Spirit, looking forward to the same hope, trusting the same Lord. We are the bride of Christ, and that suggests a strong unity, a strong sense of belonging. So if we want to love consistently, that's going to require us to be deliberate, intentional, behaving with choice. Jesus calls us to a love that doesn't discriminate at all. It's non-exclusive. Everyone gets to be a part of it. And here's the hard bit. It loves for its own sake, not because it approves certain personalities or behaviours. If we think about this passage in John, Jesus is giving this command at the Last Supper. So he's saying, love, love others as I, as I love you. 
knowing that he's about to go to his death, knowing that Judas is about to betray him, Peter will later deny him, the rest of them will run away. And yet he chooses to love consistently to the end. And even after the resurrection, he comes back, he appears to, he appears to them, doesn't he, to reassure and comfort them. That is a radical love, a love that is unwavering. But with God's spirit, we can love this way too. So how do we begin to enact this deliberate, non-discriminating love on a deeper level? I think perhaps it can be easy in church, especially if you've been around church any length of time, to get involved in lots of things and to be very busy and to be doing a lot and to be saying a lot, but not actually being vulnerable. This is one of the things I felt God wanting me to challenge us with. This is very, um, it might just be for me, so just you bear with me if it's just for me. Because costly love does require vulnerability. I don't know if you've come across um, an American sociologist called Dr. Brené Brown. She has um, been studying this area of vulnerability for about 30 years. She's got books, TED Talks. You know, if you Google her, you'll, you'll find out. She's, she comes from a secular standpoint. But this is what she says about vulnerability. In our culture, in the West, we associate vulnerability with emotions we want to avoid, such as fear, shame, and uncertainty. Yet, we too often lose sight of the fact that vulnerability is also the birthplace of joy, belonging, creativity, authenticity, and love. It's true, isn't it? We know that anecdotally in our own lives. When we've made ourselves a little bit vulnerable with somebody, that's when the gold comes. When we really allow someone to see us beyond the mask, beyond the superficial. And, and this is how the Holy Spirit works too. And so maybe if, if, if you're someone who struggles with the Holy Spirit, because maybe you're scared to risk or you're afraid of emotional exposure, then God would just say, Holy Spirit is God and God is love and, and God won't force you, God won't humiliate you. The Holy Spirit has, has one purpose here and that's to bind us together in love, to make us more effective for the kingdom and to cause us to know that we are loved and our identity is in Christ. This is really important. Vulnerability is about loving in a more wholehearted way. It's not for people who like talking about feelings. If we think it's just for people who like talking about feelings, then this is what can happen in church. We allow certain individuals to take on the role of the vulnerable, and the rest of us will just keep safe and contained over here, and the furthest point from emotional risk, and we'll just support those people. And that's fine, but the trouble is that we really limit the work of the Holy Spirit if we do that. Because he won't force or strong arm us into doing it. But he does long to give us increasingly real godly connection with one another. He wants to keep threading us together. At a recent women's event, there were three people who, who gave a testimony of what God was doing in their, in their lives over recent times, and 
it was really exposing for those women. But it wasn't a gush of feelings. It was a brave sharing and speaking of the truth for the good of the rest of us, for our encouragement. Perhaps God this morning might be challenging you as he has been with me about the roles we can sometimes take on in church. Are you somebody who's very happy to pray for others, but a bit reluctant to have others pray for you? Do you charge forward ready to help, but are less keen on putting yourself in the position where you need to receive help? It's annoying, isn't it? But actually, if we want to take hold of a deeper, more Christ-like love, that's what it demands from us. And I think there is appetite for it. What are the things that make us shy away? Perhaps we need to redefine our idea of vulnerability. So how about this for a new definition, the model of Jesus. Jesus offers us a model of vulnerability, not as emotional release, not as pious performance, but as risk-taking for the good of others. He did this in ordinary acts. He walked dusty roads. He got tired. He rebuked abuses of power and touched lepers and bleeding women. And Jesus was most vulnerable when he bore our sin in suffering, humiliation, pain, and alienation from the Father on the cross. But he did it for the joy set before him. He made himself vulnerable to purchase our redemption. So Jesus shows us that vulnerability isn't just emotional unburdening, it exists for the good of the community. I suppose it's like the difference of giving of ourselves and and giving ourselves. We can and we should give of ourselves. We've had a series all about the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how each one of us should be eagerly desiring those gifts and um, willing to enact them so that the whole body grows and benefits. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we can give our possessions to the poor, I can give my body to the flames, but still not have love. Often when we give of ourselves, we might give wisdom, something about you know, our gifts, our strengths, often we don't risk losing really very much. And we often receive praise in the process of that, don't we? But costly love, modelled by Jesus, involves the giving of our very selves. As someone put it, when I give myself, I don't just give something that I have, I give my whole self. I identify myself with yourself. I start giving attention to your very name and reputation because I view them as united to my own. Any glory that I have becomes yours, and all the glory that you have is the glory that I most enjoy. This is how we should love one another in church because this is how Christ loved us. We don't just embrace one another. We rest the weight of our identities upon one another. We share one another's glories and sorrows. It's a tall order, but it's exciting. When we do give of ourselves... We gain so much. We see the Holy Spirit at work. We see God honouring the things that we do and the things that we say. But also, 
we can get a bit hurt, disappointed, disillusioned in the process. I was sharing in the first service that quite a few years ago, I was, um, I was part of a big church in London and um, had sort of plucked up the courage to take somebody along to church. And in that service, something happened that was completely wrong, it ended up with the complete humiliation of somebody publicly. And the person that I had brought got up and, and walked out, and I very quickly also got up and walked out. And that was, that was a very painful um, experience because I felt let down by God because I thought, I've been brave. I've brought this person to church. I don't do this very often. I've done it, and this is the reward. And I also felt really let down by the church. And I don't know whether you have any experiences that are still painful, are still things that are a source of real disappointment, I felt God saying that actually ahead of this vision, ahead of this vision Sunday in a couple of weeks, we really need to just get, get on board with forgiveness and to lay a few things down ahead of two weeks' time. Because if, if we don't remedy and if we don't forgive, what begins to happen is we, we, we have a new filter that forms and then we see church through that filter and we alter our expectations, and we perhaps withhold our trust, or we engage in a different way. I don't know whether you were in the service yonks ago with Mary Rimmer where she talked about um, unforgiveness as like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. And we know it, don't we? We know that holding on to unforgiveness only hurts ourselves. but it also damages Christ's vision for what we can be. When we hold on to unforgiveness, we, yeah, we limit what we can achieve in the church and, and also we, we, we do damage to Christ's bride. Church isn't an idea, is it? It's us. It is us. And either we can choose to beautifully express or painfully distort the nature of the one that we serve. God gave us the church, and he loves his church so much, even more than we love it. And he's committed to bringing about its wholeness and its maturity. But we also have to play our part in that, don't we? We have to catch that vision. We have to believe that God can bring healing and restoration so that we can begin to really love one another the way that he loves us. I'm going to invite the band back up, but as, as we go into our final song, I'd urge you to just ask the Holy Spirit to prompt you. There'll be people here to pray afterwards if you'd like to do that, but equally the Holy Spirit can minister, you, minister to you right where you are. I think God's got some really exciting things in store for us in the coming months and years.